Chapter 12 of Double Challenge by Jim Gelgard. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Al's Betrayal Deer season was ended, and the village of Lorton brooded moodily between the snow-clad hills that flanked it. From now until arriving fishermen brought new excitement, Lorton would know only that which arose from within itself. Ted who had put John Wilson and his great buck on yesterday's outgoing train, steered his pickup down the street with its plow-thrown heaps of snow on either side and drew up in front of Loring Blade's house. He said, Stay here, Tammy. The collie settled back into the seat. Ted walked to the front door, knocked, and was admitted by the game warden's attractive wife. Hello, Ted. Hello, Helen. Is Loring home? Yes, he is. Come on in. She escorted the boy into the living room, where, pajama-clad and with a pile of magazines beside him, Loring Blade lay on a Davenport and sipped lazily from a cup of coffee. He looked up and grimaced. Whatever you want, I ain't getting it. I aim to stay here for the next nineteen years. Ted grinned. Have they been pushing you pretty hard, Loring? I've been on the go 47 hours a day, and, at a conservative estimate, I've walked 9 million miles since deer season opened. Was it bad? No worse than usual. Most of the hunters who came in were a pretty decent lot. But there always is, and I suppose always will be, the wise guy who thinks he can get away with anything. I caught one joker with nine deer. Whoa. He was fined, Loring said happily. A hundred dollars for each one, and suspension of hunting privileges for five years. Smokey Delbert give you any trouble? You know better than that. Smokey can't walk a hundred yards from his house and won't be able to for a long time to come. I feel kind of sorry for the poor cuss, Ted murmured. Loring Blade looked at him sharply. You didn't come here to ask me about Smokey. Oh, yes I did. Who talked with him after he was shot? I did, for one. Why? What did he tell you? The game warden shrugged. You know as well as I do. Smokey was walking up Coon Valley when your dad rose up behind Glory Rock and shot him. Can you tell me his exact story? Loring Blade looked puzzled. What do you want to know, Ted? Did Smokey hear any shooting? Come to think of it, a half minute or so before Smokey got Glory Rock, he heard two shots. Ted's heart pounded excitedly. The two shots had been for Damon and Pythias. Smokey wouldn't have heard the one that got him. Ted continued his questioning. Did Smokey have any idea as to who was shooting at what? He thought your dad was banging away at a varmint. Then he did know dad had gone up Coon Valley ahead of him. Why, yes, he saw his boot track in the mud, but you knew that. Was Smokey afraid to go on? Why should he have been afraid? Who expects to get shot? Tell me exactly how he said he saw dad shoot him. Smokey was near the three sycamores when 
he, he thought he saw something move. A second later, your dad rose from behind Glory Rock and shot him. Smokey's very sure of that. It was Dad that rose from behind the rock. He told the same story at least a dozen times that I know of. It never varied. Dad didn't step out from beside the rock or anything like that. No, he rose from behind it. Mooring, has it occurred to anybody, except me, that the back of Glory Rock is a sheer drop? Anyone who could rise from behind and shoot over it would have to be at least nine feet tall. I... By gosh, you're right. I knew Al never bushwhacked him. He must have been standing up in plain sight when Smokey came up the valley. Smokey never saw who shot him. That's the way he told it. Think, Ted urged. Think of the sort of man Smokey is. There was bad blood between him and Dad, and had been for some time. You were there when Dad dressed him down for setting traps before Fur was prime. There was, as you'll remember, talk of shooting even then. Smokey knew Dad had gone up Coon Valley ahead of him. Probably, he thinks Dad shot him. He said he saw him because he wanted to be sure of revenge. Smokey would do that. Yes, he would. But it seems to me that you're doing a lot of guessing. Maybe. You brought Smokey's rifle out. Yes. Had it been fired? No, the boar was mere slick. What will you do if you ran across Dad? I'd bring him in. If I had to, do it at gunpoint. Loring, I'm going to do something that neither you nor I thought I'd ever do. I'm going to betray my dad into your hands. Then you do know where he is. No, I haven't seen him since the night he left. Cut it out, Ted. We all know you've been taking him supplies, and we've tried a dozen times to catch you at it. You do know where he is? I don't, but Tammy does. So, the warden exploded. Callahan was right. He thought he saw Tammy leave your house that night with a pack on his back. But when you whistled him in, and he didn't have any pack, Callahan figured he made a mistake. How do you manage that? Dad was coming to me, and he saw Callahan, too. He met Tammy within yards of the house and took his pack off. Loring, if this is to be done, it's to be done my way. What's your way? You do exactly as I say. I'm listening. Meet me at my house two hours after midnight. We'll cross the hills to Glory Rock. We won't be able to walk up Coon Valley. Then, you're to hide behind or beside the rock. Any place you can listen without being seen, until I say you can come out. Now look here, Ted. I like you and your dad, but I'm not sticking my neck out for anybody. I promise you won't, and I promise that you will get the chance to bring dad in. The game warden pondered, and he finally agreed. All right, Ted. It'll be your way, but if there are any tricks, somebody's going to get hurt. Okay. Meet me at two? At two. Ted drove happily to Nels Anderson's modest house and found his friend chopping wood. Nels greeted him with a broad smile. Hi, Ted. Come in and have a cup of coffee. I can't stay, Nels. 
How are you doing? Good, good for now. Them deer hunters what stayed in your camp, they paid me nice and I get another job soon. Crestwood's changing hands and the new owners are taking over next week. You might go ask for your old job back. Yeah, I do that. If you don't get one there, Ted said recklessly, I myself will be able to offer you something that'll tide you over until you get another job. I'm going to build more camps. By golly, Ted, I used to don't know how to thank you. Will you do me a favor? For you, I do anything. Then listen carefully. At seven o'clock tomorrow morning, I want you to go to Crestwood and see Thornton. He'll be out of bed. Tell him that there's something near those sycamores in Coon Valley that he'd better take care of. Nels scratched his head and let the instructions sink in. At seven tomorrow morning, I see Thornton. I tell him, there's something near them three sycamores in Coon Valley you'd better take care of. That's right. Yeah, Ted, I do it used that way. Ted's alarm awakened him at a quarter past one. He reached down in the darkness to shut it off, and as he lay there, he knew a cold foreboding. Until now, the day to put his plan into execution, he had been very sure he was right. But suppose he was wrong. Al would be in Loring Blade's hands, delivered there by his own son. Ted got up and almost grimly clothed himself. His father couldn't stay in the Mahala much longer anyhow and Ted knew he was right. When he dressed, he sat down and wrote a note. Dad, meet me at the Three Sycamores near Glory Rock and bring Tammy with you. It's very important. When you get there, hide in the beach scrub until you think it's time to come out. You'll know what it's about after you arrive. He put the note in a pliofilm bag and was just on the point of handing it to Tammy when he hesitated. Timing was very important, and certainly Al Harkness was never going to show himself at the Three Sycamores if he saw Loring Blade anywhere near them. Ted put his doubts behind him. His note said plainly that something was stirring, and his father wasn't going to show himself anyway until he knew what it was. Ted opened the back door, gave the pliofilm bag to Tammy, and said, Take it to Al. Go find Al. Tammy streaked away in the darkness, and Ted turned back to the kitchen. He set coffee to perking, laid strips of bacon in a skillet, and arranged half a dozen eggs nearby. At seven o'clock, and because he was who he was, it would be exactly seven o'clock, Nels would go to Carl Thornton and deliver Ted's message. If Thornton was innocent, he'd probably think Nels had gone crazy. But if Ted was right, and he was guilty, Thornton would come up to Coon Valley as soon as possible to find and destroy any incriminating evidence that lay there. He would get the message at seven, give him ten minutes to get ready, forty minutes, Crestwood was nearer than the Harkness's house, to reach the mouth of Coon Valley, and another twenty minutes to reach the Sycamores. If he was not there by nine o'clock, he would not come. There was a knock on the door and Ted opened it to admit Loring Blade. Hi. Hi, the warden grumped. I've made all the arrangements. For taking Dad to jail? For having my head examined, the warden snapped. 
who is in their right mind would let himself in for this sort of thing? In about three minutes, Ted promised, I'll have hot coffee and bacon and eggs. You'll feel better then. They ate, the warden maintaining a sour silence, and Ted again filled with doubt. All he really knew was that Carl Thornton had killed Damon and wounded Pythias before the season opened. The wounded deer in the beach scrub could have been shot by anyone at all, and... No, they couldn't. Al and Smokey Delbert, as far as anyone knew, had been the only two people in Coon Valley that day. Al wouldn't shoot an illegal deer, and Ted had Loring Blade's word for it that Smokey's rifle had not been fired. There had been a third party, and after Ted chased him out of the thickets on Burned Mountain, Pythias had cut through the beech scrub. Obviously, he knew the route, and he wouldn't have remembered that, a couple of months ago, he had almost come to disaster in it. A deer's memory isn't that long. When the two had finished eating, Ted asked, Shall we go? I'm ready, but if we're going to Glory Rock, why can't we drive to the mouth of Coon Valley? You promised you'd do this my way. There must be nothing to warn Carl Thornton away, if he came, and fresh tracks leading up Coon Valley might do just that. Loring Blade said, I suppose I might as well be a complete jackass or a partial one. We'll walk. They went out into the cold night, while the north wind fanned their cheeks and trees sighed around them. A deer snorted and bounded away, and there came an angry hiss from a weasel that, having all but cornered the rabbit it was hunting, expressed its hatred for humans before it fled from them. Ted asked, You tired? Lead on. The wan gray light of an overcast morning fell sadly on the wilderness when the pair came again to the three sycamores and glory rock. Ted's watch read 7.30. Carl Thornton had his message, and, if he was guilty, even now he was on his way. Loring Blade asked, What now? You'd better hide. Oh, for Pete's sake! Dad isn't going to walk into your open arms. The warden said grimly, All right, but if he doesn't come, there'll be one Harkness hide tacked at the barn door, and it won't be your dad's. He slipped in behind Glory Rock, and it was as though he'd never been. Ted was left alone with the keening breeze, the murmuring trees in the Mahala. He looked across at the beech scrub where Al was supposed to hide, where he might even now be hiding and saw nothing. He shivered slightly. He knew that he was lost if Thornton didn't come. Then he was sure that Thornton was not coming. But when he looked at his watch, it was only five minutes to eight. There simply hadn't been time. Mentally, Ted ticked off another hour. However, his watch said that only seven minutes had passed, and he stopped looking at it. Forty-eight hours later, which his faulty watch said was only forty-eight minutes, he looked down the valley and saw motion. Ted stood very still in front of Glory Rock, and a prayer went up from his heart. When the approaching man was very near, he said, Hello, Thornton. Carl Thornton stopped, and for a moment shocked surprise ruled his face. 
but it was only for a moment. He replied coolly, Hello, Harkness. I see, Ted observed, that you got my message. Message? The one Nels Anderson gave you at seven o'clock this morning. The one that sent you up here. What are you talking about? This. And I found it within six feet of where you are standing. Now do you think it could be the bullet that went through Smoky Delbert? Ted took from his pocket the bullet he had dug out of Pythias and held it up between thumb and forefinger. Again, but only for an almost imperceptible part of a second, Carl Thornton's composure deserted him. Then, once more, he was the master of Crestwood, and as such he had no association with ordinary residents of the Mahala. He said scornfully, Give me that bullet. Well now, I don't think I will. The sheriff, the state police, and maybe others will sure be interested as all get out. You have some explaining to do, Thornton. And can you explain? I want that bullet. Why do you want it, Thornton? Give me that bullet. Not so fast. I might sell it to you. What's it worth for you to have it? Carl Thornton's laugh carried an audible sneer. You slob! You hill monkey! You're even lower than I thought. Sell the evidence that would clear your own father for money. Then you did shoot Smokey. I want that bullet. Come and take it. I'll do just that. Ted balanced on the balls of his feet, a grin of sheerest delight on his face. Thornton was bigger than he and heavier, and he was moving like a trained boxer. But because his back was turned, he did not see Tammy burst from the scrub beach and race him down. Tammy went into the air. His flying body struck squarely, and Carl Thornton took two involuntary steps forward. He fell face downwards and rolled over to shield his throat with his right arm. Tammy's bared fangs gleamed an inch away, and Thornton's voice was muffled. C call him off. I'll give you a thousand dollars for the bullet. No, thanks, Ted said evenly. And I wouldn't move if I were you. Anyway, I wouldn't move too far or fast. Tammy might get nervous. He raised his voice. All right, Loring. I think he'll tell you the rest now. Ted scarcely noticed when Loring Blade came out from behind Glory Rock because his whole attention was centered on the man who emerged from the beach scrub. Al Harkness was lean as a wolf. His ragged hair had been hacked as short as possible with a hunting knife, and his beard was bushy. His tattered clothing was held together with pieces of deerskin, fox pelt, wildcat fur, and fishing line. But his step was lithe, and his eyes were clear and happy. Ha <laughs> ha, Ted. Hello, Dad. They came very close and looked at each other saying with their eyes all that which, for the moment, they could find no words to express. Then Al asked, How you been, son? Fine. Had a swell season. As soon as you get squared around again, and used to living like a civilized man, we can start two more camps. Right glad to hear it. You'll have your lodge yet. Might that. How have you been? Not too bad. Al grinned his old grin. Not too bad at all. Hey! Loring Blade 
called plaintively. Call your dog, will you? I've told him six times to get away so I can start taking this guy to jail, and all he does is growl louder. Ted turned and snapped his fingers. Come on, Tammy. Come on up here and join your family. End of chapter 12 End of Double Challenge by Jim Gelgard.